Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTOC's Tracking the Vaccine podcast. I'm digital anchor and producer Jake Wallace. The Centers for Disease Control says more than half of American adults are fully vaccinated as of Tuesday afternoon. Andy Slavitt, COVID advisor to the White House, called it a major milestone for the country to clear, but says there is still more work to be done. Here's Mr. Slavitt during a COVID telebriefing on Tuesday, May 25th. We have more work to do to meet the president's goal of 70% of adult Americans with one shot by July 4th. And unless you're vaccinated, you are at risk. When the virus looks for a place to spread and it doesn't spread to a vaccinated person, it will look for you. Slavitt says 25 states and Washington, D.C. have fully vaccinated at least half of their population, and nine states have crossed the 70% threshold of people with at least one shot. Closer to home, Georgia and South Carolina are both below the 50% mark. As of Thursday, May 27th, Georgia's Department of Public Health reports a fully vaccinated rate of 32%, while South Carolina's Department of Health and Environmental Control reports a 36% fully vaccinated rate. The mask mandate in Savannah remains in place through Memorial Day, but it's unclear if it will stay longer than that. During his weekly media update on Tuesday, Mayor Van Johnson was non-committal to renewing the mandate, even with just a few days remaining. Mayor Johnson has typically extended the mandate well in advance. This time, he says he's purposely not doing so. Instead, Johnson says he and his team will take a wait-and-see approach with the mandate's future. Here's what he had to say. Now it will be almost a day-by-day approach. Um, As I said, on one end, our indicators are positive. On the other end, we're not vaccinated the way we should be. So um, I'm purposely being vague because I don't want to um, move too fast. Um, And as you know, I usually would just go ahead and extend it now. Um, And I'm purposely not doing that because I'm trying to get us to a place, hopefully, where our numbers are favorable enough where we can lift lift the mask mandate. And I'm hoping to get there. Per the Coastal Health District, COVID hospitalizations in Chatham County are steadily declining, and the Community Transmission Index, which reflects the number of new positive cases per 100,000 residents over the past 14 days, is 75, which the DPH classifies as moderately high. Neighboring counties Bryan and Liberty have CTIs over 100, however. The Georgia Department of Public Health reports a 31% fully vaccinated rate in Chatham County. 36% of people have received at least one dose. The current mandate expires at 11.59 p.m. on Monday, May 31st. Chatham County lifted its mandate for fully vaccinated people on May 14th. The Savannah Civic Center continues to be used in the fight against COVID-19. The arena has been used as a testing site for months and a vaccination site since early April. Hospice Savannah has been running the vaccination effort out of the Civic Center, but turned over the operation to a group called CORE, or Community Organized Relief Effort. CORE tells WTOC that transition has been smooth thanks to help from the Chatham County Health Department, Gulfstream, and other groups. The group is offering the Pfizer vaccine, which is approved for use in people 12 years and older, and the one-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. CORE says it was important for the group to offer people options and answers. Come shop for your vaccine with us. Uh, You know, we want people to have the choice in choosing which one they want um, because we know that that has also been something that people were uncomfortable with in the past. And so if that's the barrier that you're dealing with, then come choose your vaccine. Reach out to us. Um, Just show up at a vaccine site if you're uncomfortable um, or if you have any questions. That is what we're here for. We want to have those conversations. We want you to feel comfortable and know that this is a safe space for you to get the vaccine. Vaccines are available at the Savannah Civic Center every Thursday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Walk-ups are welcomed.
With children 12 years and older now eligible to receive the Pfizer vaccine, community health leaders are pushing for parents to get their kids vaccinated. But many parents still have questions. This week, WTOC's Saria Sandlin sat down for a roundtable discussion with area doctors and health leaders to get answers to many of those most pressing questions. Joining Saria on the panel is Coastal Health District Medical Director Dr. Lawton Davis, pediatrician Dr. Ben Stepalnik of Pediatric Associates of Savannah, South Carolina State Epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell, and Memorial Health Associate Chief Medical Officer and Pediatric Infectious Disease Specialist Dr. Stephen Thacker. Here is their roundtable discussion. Well, we are going to go ahead and get started with our questions. The first question is for you, Dr. Linda Bell, and we want to know what are the biggest concerns you're hearing from people that are hesitant to get the COVID vaccine? Yes, um, thank you for inviting me to participate in this panel, and thank you for the question. And I will say that early on, the greatest concerns had to do primarily with the speed with which the vaccines were brought to market. Those concerns are declining. And what we're doing now is uh, people want to know primarily two things. Uh, is it safe? And uh, why do I need to be vaccinated? So, um, you know, a couple of things that I think it's helpful for people to understand that uh, the vaccines are very safe. We have now one of the most rigorous systems to detect potential serious complications. And in fact, that is how we have detected these rare complications. So in answer to the question about is it safe, the answer is yes. Um, because we know that there can be rare complications, but we ask people to consider rare complications in the context of how common complications are from the disease itself. And then the, the second, uh, not necessarily concerns that we're hearing though, are people want to know, well, how long will protection last? How long will we have immunity? Will we have to get booster doses? And one of the other concerns is not specifically about the vaccine itself, but some people who really do not have hesitancy, who want to be vaccinated, but have had issues with access with barriers and the convenience of being vaccinated. And we're working very hard with our partners to at least reduce that particular barrier. And then there are also educational barriers. So we want people to be well informed about what um, are true concerns with the safety of the vaccine, which again are very rare. Mm -hmm. But we want people to be well informed about the threats of the disease itself. Absolutely, lots of good information. Dr. Davis, let's let's talk to you about this. What are the concerns that you are hearing from people um, here in the Coastal Empire and beyond? Well, I think, uh, as was just stated, that uh, the speed with which these vaccines were brought to the market has concerned quite a few people. Uh, sometimes these people, once you explain to them that you know, the technology for all of the different vaccines has actually been around for a long time. Uh, that helps them a little bit. Um, I think in some of the younger, uh, particularly female population, I've heard various people discussing potential long-term problems with uh, fertility issues that, you know, we of course don't have any evidence that that occurs yet, but that's one thing that's been stated. Um, and then we just have people who are resistant to taking you know, vaccines uh, in general. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what we can do about that. But um, those are you know, the main things that I've been hearing lately. 
The FDA recently approved the Pfizer vaccine for people ages 12 through 15. And according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, more than 120,000 young adults between the ages of 15 and 19 have had at least one dose of the vaccine. Dr. Ben Spatonic is one of our local experts. You know, Dr. Ben, you see families every single day. I'm sure you're getting all types of questions about this vaccine. What do you tell parents who are on the fence about getting their children vaccinated? Great question, and thank you for having me. Uh, they're asking, yes, should their child get it? And what we tell them is, yes, the CDC recommends it. The AAP recommends it. Most pediatricians recommend it not only for their own children who are eligible, but for all of their patients. The um, children who catch COVID don't get as sick as adults. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be protected. Uh, 300 about deaths last year from COVID in children is much less than adults, but it's preventable. This is a now preventable disease. And about a quarter of all positive cases of COVID right now are in the pediatric population. So we tell them, yes, we recommend it. We highly recommend it. We recommend it for our own children. And if your child is old enough right now, over age 12 to get the vaccine, we think they should. Let's take a closer look at those numbers. According to the numbers from the Georgia Department of Public Health, kids and teens are less likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID-19 than other age groups. 10 children from ages one year old to 17 have died from the coronavirus in Georgia and more than 1000 have been hospitalized. So Dr. Thacker, this is an argument we've seen from so many people. If only a small number of specifically 12 to 15 year olds are getting hospitalized and dying from this virus, why is it necessary to get the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, again, thank you for having me as well. Um, a great question for parents to pose. And I'd start with the, the immediate why and then the, the also kind of what the benefits vaccinations have provided us for other diseases. So um, to, to echo what Dr. Spatonic offered, right, you know, we're, we're talking about 300 deaths of, of pediatric patients that, that were really preventable at this point in time moving forward, that we have a vaccine that prevents serious illness, that prevents a, a life-threatening condition for both adults and children. Um, and when you also think about, you know, who's around those children. So I'm so thankful that children were less likely to have severe disease compared to older adults when they become infected. But we do know that they can spread infection within their home and those adults that would be around them. So, you know, one of the um, biggest strategies to protect the older population is to really vaccinate anyone around that at-risk individual. And that includes uh, children. And we've got solid safety data that for 12 and up that we've got an effective and safe vaccine uh, to prevent infection and prevent the spread to others. And then I'd also just remind many parents that we vaccinate for illnesses that cause uh, less harm on average in a season in a year. When you compare it to influenza, uh, we had far more children lose their life related to COVID-19 than we would in, in, a, in, a, in a typical influenza season. And we feel that that is enough for us to recommend universally for influenza vaccination for children of all age that can receive it safely. And so we really should not take a different strategy when it comes to COVID-19. That's a great analogy. Thank you so much for that. Well, our next question is for Dr. Davis. Dr. Davis, we know that almost all schools require students to get certain immunizations before starting class. So do these vaccines that are required to go to school need to be spaced out with the COVID-19 vaccine. How should parents plan their children's summer with these vaccines schedules? My personal opinion is it's sort of a twofold answer. 
Uh, although the CDC and the FDA have indicated that it is perfectly acceptable to co-administer any of these vaccines with COVID-19. Um, and I, I can assure you that if we, if children are brought into the health department um, and the parents are willing, we will uh, co-administer. I do think that some people may still want to consider um, separating some of them. And I, I think one of the big reasons for co-administration is we don't want to miss an opportunity to administer a needed vaccination. So if we think we're only going to have one crack at a family, <clears throat> you know, we'll go ahead and, and co-administer. But if uh, in the case of a private practitioner like Ben, um, Stephen, if, you know, if it's a family you know and you they're reliable and the family may come back in for a second vaccine, I personally would not uh, hesitate to separate the two um, COVID from other vaccines just to uh, lessen, I think the word you'll hear about is reactogenicity. And um, I guess it may be a situation where one and one equals three and instead of one and one equaling two. And so uh, you may get a little more uh, in, the, on the, in the realm of side effects if you co-administer. We don't know that for sure. We haven't done it you know, a lot yet. And again, I think it's much more important uh, not to miss a dose and to provide the vaccine if people are willing to take it than it is to intentionally separate them. So I'm sort of giving you my own personal bias in there. And I'd be very interested in, in what the pediatricians have to say. Dr. Thacker, Dr. Spotonic, do either of you want to weigh in on that? I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'd love to hear Ben's uh, view as well. Um, but my, my personal view would be one that, um, gosh, if we have the opportunity to provide vaccination and we're behind on our routine series of, of uh, preventative care uh, for a pediatric adolescent patient, let's go ahead and just seize the moment and provide both vaccines. Um, the, the recommendation to pause for 14 days around the COVID-19 vaccines was not based on a concern of, of, of side effects related to co-administration. It was more to just get a handle on what would be those uh, reactions that folks would have on average or even in the uh, uncommon and just have visibility to that was what was driving it. Not so much that there was a worry about the effectiveness of the vaccine if they're co-administered or the safety. And I'd agree with Dr. Thacker. We are big believers in administering vaccines at the earliest opportunity. And what we'd hate to do is delay any vaccine and have a child be potentially exposed or at risk in the meanwhile. So yes, now that the um, allowance is for co-administration, less than two weeks administration, uh, this summer we plan to, in our office, offer COVID vaccines along with routine vaccines when they're in the office. So my next question is for you, Dr. Bell. Right now, all of the COVID vaccines are only approved for emergency use. If and when the FDA does give these vaccines full approval, what types of shifts do you think we could begin to see in healthcare policies? And do you think schools are going to begin requiring these vaccines? Well, um, I think the way you frame the question is important because it would have to do with healthcare policies and not necessarily any change in the indications for the vaccine, the age groups, uh, and so forth, because those have already been established through the clinical trials and who uh, they're approved for use in. 
Um, I will say, however, the, the one thing I anticipate the possibility of changing is that when a vaccine is under emergency use authorization, it cannot be for use. There's a little bit of a gray area, though, because certain employers can require their employees to do certain things. Uh, but that's really a, it's, that is actually a labor law question. But whether or not schools, for example, would require these vaccines for school entry, uh, there, there are several considerations there. You know, one being, we, we don't yet know what the duration of immunity will be. So if we have um, a large proportion of the population vaccinated and we achieve a high level of herd immunity with sustained community, then um, whether or not this would be required for school entry would be a different question than if we have the potential for requiring annual immunizations like we do for the flu, uh, seasonal flu, because the virus causes the flu shifts a little bit each year. So uh, school entry requirements can be, uh, can differ. I'm actually in a different state from the rest of your panelists. So it, at this time, it's hard to say what healthcare policies might change. Uh, if we, uh, and if and when, I would say, those uh, vaccines achieve full approval from the Food and Drug Administration. Recently, the CDC created new guidelines for people who are fully vaccinated. The agency says those people no longer need to wear a mask indoors and outdoors in most situations and are free to travel without having to self-quarantine. Well, Dr. Ben, we know a lot of families plan to travel this summer. Everyone's kind of been locked down for the past year and a half. They want to have family reunions, see the grandparents, see everyone, send their kids to summer camp. So my question is, what advice do you have for families that are still worried about COVID-19 and they want to keep their kids safe this summer? That's a great question. And this is hard. As we start the great unmasking of America, we got to remember the ones who are supposed to unmask are the immunized. Children between two and 12 are not going to be immunized this summer, and they should still be wearing masks in large group situations. So the summer is going to be a lot better. Uh, teens, older teens especially, who are immunized won't need to wear masks. People will be able to travel a lot more, and the overall rates look like, fingers crossed, they're going to be much lower. So for our children who are between the ages of two and 12, um, more time outdoors where masks are a little bit less necessary, uh, safer choices for indoor activities. Um, some camps will have, uh, if they're overnight camps, will have COVID testing on arrival. So that would hopefully negate the need for masks while you're there because it's the same crowd. Um, but the, the biggest thing is remember if our children still need to wear masks and they model adult behavior, it's going to be harder to get them to wear masks. So especially in a family where some are immunized and some are not. Uh, maybe it's a good idea for parents and older ones to keep wearing their mask to help the kids wear theirs as well. That's really good advice. Thank you. Really good advice. Thanks, Dr. Ben. All right. Well, finally tonight, we want our experts to each answer the same question. So, Dr. Thacker, we're going to begin with you because there's been confusion on when and where fully vaccinated people can remove their masks. So my question is Dr. Thacker, do you wear a mask indoors still? Um, and when when do you feel appropriate taking that mask off indoors? You know, great question. And, and I think it's a, an important shift in the discussion when it comes from the guidance from CDC. Throughout this pandemic, we've been 
really advise about the things we can't do. So it, it is nice that we are having this conversation now about the things we can do as a benefit of vaccination. So for myself personally, um, uh, you know, just a reminder for, for, for uh, everyone, you know, that the, the unmasking recommendations uh, really are for outside of healthcare environments and mass transit scenarios. So in my, in my job, my, my uh, use of masking remains the same. When I'm in a patient facing position, I'm still masking, even though I'm, I'm completely vaccinated. Um, outside of, of work um, and, 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 you know, gatherings with uh, families and loved ones, um, we are taking a mask down. Um, I have a lot of confidence into the safety and effectiveness of these vaccines. And um, when I'm around others who are uh, fully vaccinated, um, that's, that's a sign that we've taken that appropriate next step to make it very safe for us to you know, not have to focus on social distancing, not have to focus on masking in the moment. Um, and, and so we are um, benefiting from that. It's nice to be able to see the lower half of, of many of my friends and family's faces that I haven't seen in a long time. Well, Dr. Davis, I mean, you have been a key part of the guidelines set for our local municipalities as far as masks wearing goes. What are you doing now that you're fully vaccinated and the CDC changed its guidance? Are you still wearing your mask in certain situations? Yes, uh, pretty much like what Dr. Thacker just said. If I'm in a healthcare setting, I was over at one of the hospitals this morning. I certainly wore a mask there. If I go downtown into public buildings, I'm still wearing a mask. Uh, if I'm at home with my family who are all vaccinated, I do not wear a mask. Uh, there are certain small groups of friends uh, that I socialize with. I know that they are as careful as I am. I know that they're fully vaccinated. Uh, we still have most of our gatherings outdoors, uh, but we don't wear a mask in those small settings. I think the, you know, the Dr. Thacker made another good point, though. You know, you, you want to set an example. And um, so uh, when in doubt, I will put on a mask if for no reason other than hoping that somebody seeing me in a mask may say, why is that old guy still wearing a mask? You know, maybe I should think about it at least. Am I vaccinated? You know, am I behaving myself? Am I looking out for my fellow man? Dr. Bell, you also are a very public face in the fight against COVID in South Carolina. What about you? What are you doing as far as wearing a mask goes right now? I, I think I'm doing, you know, my practice is very similar to um, my colleagues here. I, I believe strongly in the, the science behind the effectiveness of the vaccines, but I also believe in the science behind the effectiveness of masks. So, um, you know, I will continue to wear a mask if I am indoors in a setting where I'm going to be, especially for a prolonged period of time when there are a lot of people around who, you know, I'm not sure what their vaccination status is. I'm generally not wearing a mask when I'm out in the open air, but I, I do want to remind people that if you're vaccinated, it's never a mistake to wear a mask if that's what makes you feel comfortable. Thank you so much for those answers. I know there's been a lot of confusion and even some criticism of the new CDC guidelines. So I really appreciate each of you kind of weighing in on sort of a personal question and offering that insight and guidance. I very much appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTOC's Tracking the Vaccine podcast, everyone. You can stay up to date with the latest information on the coronavirus and COVID-19 vaccine every night on The News and all the time at WTOC.com. This is our final scheduled episode of this podcast, but we'll continue to release episodes when called for. Until next time, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again soon.